Good morning, Lansing. It's Saturday, and the pet experts are in the building. This is the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on more compelling talk radio, 1320 WILS. Welcome, pet keepers, to this week's MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. I'm your host, Lee Cohen, here with my co-host, the pet expert himself, Mr. Rick Bruce. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Lee. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, Rick. I, you know, it's a beautiful time of the year, and I got to tell you, I was looking for a subject for us to talk about, and all I had to do was look out my back window, and the topic became obvious, <laughs> because the truth is the war of the birds is taking place, and if you've ever been around water, you would know exactly what I mean between the ducks, the swans, and the geese. <laughs> and, and nothing's better than providing an environment that uh, is essentially undisturbed. You know, uh, we we have our picture view of what goes on in your backyard, but you probably got uh, a lot of development around that lake. That being said, the lake we're going to talk about, or the area we're going to talk about, is a bit more pristine. Talk a little bit about that, Lee. Right. Yeah, it was, it was very interesting because I came across the W.K. Kellogg Biological Station, and as part of it, there is a bird sanctuary, and there was a specific focus on waterfowl. And I can't say that that I've always been interested in that topic, Rick. But now that it's a part of my life where I see all of these birds and I'm really trying to understand them and appreciate them because they really are beautiful, but they're also fascinating in their behaviors and how they pair up. I never understand how the swans allow a duck to join their little group and hang out with them. It's just, it's very strange strange to me, but uh, I saw this story, and lo and behold, I got in contact with them and talked with uh, Lisa, who is the manager of the Bird Sanctuary, and boy, what an interesting story. You knew all about this Kellogg Sanctuary, didn't you? I didn't know so much about the sanctuary. You know, this is something that's specifically focused on, you know, studying, preserving, conserving uh, an environment for waterfowl to come in and come out. But the entire complex of the biological station, uh, I'm quite familiar with it because there's a lot of, you know, MSU-related, nature-related projects uh, that occur uh, down in that whole, you know, biological station area, including teaching and such. But, uh, yeah, uh, so from my, back in my college days, I got to travel down into those areas and help do research. And, uh, you know, you think about it, you go to MSU campus, it's, it's beautiful. Right. You know, and there's some, you know, the Beale Gardens and such. But, you know, if you're a student of uh, nature, you know, resource development, uh, where in this case, you know, natural resource colleges of any kind, biology, you know, the various disciplines that are there, you really need to be able to escape into some area for which is relatively undisturbed in MSU owning this particular overall acreage, if you will, that uh, is meant to be, um, 
essentially preserved and conserved um, for so many years, uh, it's just an opportunity for them to find that place that they can study, they can research, and actually see the wild as it should be. Well, it was a fascinating story to me as I dug into it. And so, like I said, I contacted the lady who runs the the sanctuary, Lisa Duke, and she's agreed to come on today and talk with us a little bit about some of the programs they've got going, the history of how it all came about. I guess the Kellogg's are the ones who originally donated it to MSU, and uh, it's just it's another thing about Michigan that if you grew up in the city like I did and you didn't really pay attention to this stuff you discover and you realize wow Michigan is such a cool state and I had no idea well, that's uh, kind of cool. We had a great experience um, a couple weeks ago with uh, Tracy uh, working with the DNR and kind of exposing these various areas around the state that are uh, natural gem resources where you can actually go and learn and educate. And now the online presence of uh, COVID, post-COVID, um, it'll be interesting. I think people should listen in because it can kind of, you know, change the direction for which their children are, are educated and understand or they themselves educated and understand our resources. There's now more opportunity for you to sit in your living room and learn all about the state right. as a natural world, not as, you know, Benton Harbor or Grand Rapids or the art, you know, uh, whatever. There's all the social things, the cultural things. But what about nature? And they're not leaving it out. There's an opportunity for everybody to get involved. Right. Well, it's also a good opportunity to educate your kids because usually the kids are looking to just have fun. And believe me, there's fun stuff coming up. I saw the calendar at Bruce Pats, and lo and behold, it is October. Uh, There is the Halloween event taking place in Old Town where everyone can take their dogs trick-or-treating as well as the costume contest. And then we've got on the 30th of this month, Stan the Spider-Man from Calgary (laughs) makes his return to the Lansing area. And for those of you who've never met Stan, There is nobody on this earth, I believe, that knows as much about tarantulas as he does. And if there is, then there aren't too many of them. Well, Rick, it's going to be fun at the store, but if you're interested in learning information that's really, really fun and informative and all about Michigan, then you need to tune in this morning right now, because right after the break, we're going to get started right here on 1320 WILS. Hey, got some ideas for a show? Questions? Maybe suggestions? Just email us, mmpets at 1320wils.com, or message us on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash MMPets. You're listening to the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show with Rick Cruz and Lee Cohen on 1320 WILS. We're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And Rick, we have with us on the line a first-time guest. It's Lisa Duke, who is the sanctuary manager of the W.K. Kellogg Bird Sanctuary, located just outside Kalamazoo. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure to have you. Lisa, the reason I wanted to have you is 
I came across a notice indicating that you guys had some online bird and coffee chats coming up, and I just thought to myself, bird and coffee chats? What the heck is this place? <laughs> so my first question for you, what the heck is this place? Yeah, so the W.K. Keller Bird Sanctuary, we are located in Augusta, Michigan, and we are a wonderful place for families and people to come and visit. We have about three miles of trails here. In the middle of our property is a 40-acre lake. It's called Wintergreen Lake. It's a pretty shallow lake, but we do get a wide diversity of waterfowl throughout the year, especially during spring and fall migration. Now, are you connected with the Kellogg Biological Center? We are. We are a part of the Kellogg Biological Station. The station is Michigan State University's largest off-campus field station. Um, we're, we're like a small little campus. There's actually about almost 4,000 acres of land that is part of the station here. And um, there's different units that make it up. There's the academic portion, which we have um, resident faculty that are based out of the station here doing um, cutting-edge research throughout the whole year. Um, we have an active farm and uh, pasture dairy center. There's us, the bird sanctuary, and then also the... Um, agricultural uh, research that happens with our long-term ecological research center in the Great Lakes Bioenergy Research Center. So lots of big stuff happening in a very rural part of the world in Michigan. And is it um, uh, is the sanctuary itself that you're part of? Is mm -hmm. this something that um, is specifically run by students or run for students or somehow connected with yeah. Michigan State University students? Or how does it, uh, how does it meet the MSU's mission in educating their students? Yeah, so the biological station um, hosts undergraduate students through the summertime. So middle of May to the beginning of August, we host about 100 students. And the sanctuary itself is a site for those uh, undergraduate courses that happen to come in and do their um, field experiences. And then also we host um internships here at the sanctuary itself. Um, we One is uh, avian care intern, so we do have a captive collection of birds here at the sanctuary, and that internship is um, an experience of learning how to do daily husbandry for those birds um, and also like functioning of our, our site here. Um, which we are a very unique kind of nature center slash site for research and public venue. It's um, we're a hodgepodge and uh, an interesting spot to you know start your your career at. Um, we also host an educational intern, um, which changes throughout the year, but they help us with our public programming and. Um, working with our visitors. Well, what I was wondering is that um, if it's a nature, it's a bird sanctuary, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm envisioning this undisturbed resource for which would be a basically a, a nature center, if you are a natural area yeah. and other animals other than birds would certainly be uh, found in in good condition in in the kind of state for which you would want to both study animals in their natural state and also be a sanctuary for those animals as well what yep. is it that focuses specifically on birds yeah so the sanctuary has an interesting history um we were established in 1927 this land was purchased by um wk kellogg the cereal magnate from from battle creek here 
and um, this land was actually purchased specifically for the conservation of waterfowl. Um, if you can imagine, at that time, 1927, um, the Canada goose was rare. Um, they were only here in spring and fall migration. They were not year-round residents. So the sanctuary was actually established to help create a population of Canada geese in the area for um, a hunting person. This is actually, so have a nice population here and that they would spread out throughout the um, local counties. What would they do to attract the geese? I mean, naturally yeah. speaking, there wasn't a lot of ecological impact, I would think, at that point. Or maybe there was. Maybe that's the reason. But yeah. what, was the area um, well-suited and populated by Canadian geese in a prior uh, generation and had disappeared? Or um, is it just that they had an interest in getting these geese that they wanted to well, shoot at, I guess, uh, to somehow populate that area? Yeah, so um, good question. So the reason this property was purchased, the land surrounding the lake, Wintergreen Lake here, was all old agricultural field. So they, this land has been highly modified throughout the years. Most of the trees that are now on the property were, were hand-planted um, into the 1930s and 40s. And the Canada Goose story started with, so W.K. Kellogg um, used to hold lectures at, um, for his Kellogg employees. And one person that they invited to come and hold a lecture was a gentleman named Jack Miner, who had a goose sanctuary up in Ontario, Canada. And Kellogg was fascinated with this story that this gentleman, Jack Miner, established this property and started to recruit Canada geese in, in thousands to that area. And so Kellogg was like, why can't I do this? So he purchased this land with the lake on it specifically for that reason. He got, um, they call them a decoy flock of Canada geese from, from Jack Miner, brought them here to the bird sanctuary. These birds were non-flighted, so stayed here on Wintergreen Lake and then reproduced throughout the years. And then those young, the um, goslings, they would leave them flighted. So those birds, after um, a period of time, would you know, need to leave their parents, and then they would fly to different areas throughout the local county and, and spread throughout. They also worked with the Michigan DNR in moving some of the geese to different water sources for them to spread them throughout the state of Michigan too. Now today, if the DNR were to look at uh, past accomplishments or at least the goal of having Canadian goose throughout uh, various waterways, does that make sense? Is, is, <laughs> is that a particularly you know worthwhile accomplishment or did it just become a stepping stone to other um, sanctuary related avian pursuits? It's really interesting. It's really within the last few decades that the Canada goose population has, like, skyrocketed. Um, and that's mostly due to humans. Canada geese do really well on mown grass. Um, they don't mind being around people, so they'll go to, like, golf courses, lovely lawns, um, lake shores, because humans like to mow the lawn up to the, to the um, lake to enjoy it where they live. And... Um, the geese have just really enjoyed it and have taken off. So there are some human goose um, conflicts um, that are occurring now because no one likes to find those lovely little presents that they leave in their lawn. Um, 
I can visualize one right now yep. <laughs> uh, between my toes. So, there are ways to, to, to control that, um, creating buffers of um, taller vegetation on your, your lake shore there. You know, it, it is supporting a good uh, um, goose hunt uh, in the local area. So is, is goose hunting uh, still a particularly uh, popular event? And um, is it, you know, when we think of the deer population, uh, mm-hmm. we certainly think about how it is overpopulated and maybe we need a few more hunters uh, in order to keep those populations down. Uh, you know, in the city we have like targeted shoots and such. Yep. Uh, what What's the dynamics of the Canadian geese uh, and what are, you know, what should we be thinking of this as kind of an... Uh, ecological friend or foe? Yeah, so it is um, the number of hunters that are, are slowly decreasing. Um, so that population of geese is going to ebb and flow depending upon that influence. Um, so right now, goose populations are increasing. They will eventually balance themselves out in some fashion, um, whether it's from humans doing that or some other reasons. But a lot of conservation efforts are funded off of people purchasing hunting licenses, um, and that money gets reinvested into creating good habitat, which benefits all of our wildlife. So, so we'll talk about the rest of the wildlife, and if you were to think on a day, day week, or month that your efforts go into it, uh, how much of your energy and effort goes to the Canadian geese, and how much does it go to just bird creatures in general and and what is the overall arcing mission now now that we're probably not set up as a institution to specifically support the idea of goose hunting right yeah so most of the um, current conservation efforts are just creating quality habitat for all wildlife so increasing the number of um, diverse grasslands um, you know safe spaces for our um, wildlife to you know have food to reproduce, have shelter through the winter, um, creating those opportunities so all species can succeed and we have a balanced ecosystem. So I'm living on a fictitious lake right now, and that fictitious lake, um, um, I I have you visit. Um, What steps and uh, procedures would I be taking around that lake to, let's say, um, enhance the overall ecological stellarness of it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what we recommend here at um, the Bird Sanctuary to provide a good habitat for for wildlife is plant native plants. You know, the less amount of lawn that you have, the better. If you can imagine, like our lovely, beautiful, um, you know, Kentucky bluegrass lawns um, do not provide a lot of services for wildlife. It's, It's basically a a desert for for wildlife. So the more native plants that you can put in, um, the less uh, uh, pesticides and herbicides that you can put out there, the better. Those things have further impacts than you can ever imagine. Um, And to, you know, make sure that what you're putting out there is a good source of of food and um, provides that habitat that all, all of our native creatures need. Now, Lisa, when it comes to the birds that you attract, uh, as someone who 
lives on a lake, and mm-hmm. and we do get Canadian geese, but it's not fictitious in your case. No, it's it's real, and I do know the the things you talk about on the lawn. Uh, but what I see is a competition because right now the ducks seem to be winning that competition because mm. they are just gravitating out of the water and onto the docks or onto the lawns and are there constantly and occasionally the swan family comes by and visits and mm-hmm. boy it's amazing the way those guys can eat because I mean they get huge in terms yeah. of the size they are how do you control what what, what animals do what or, you let them do their thing <laughs> yeah. I, correct me if I'm wrong but you're providing a balanced natural ecosystem and then the the animals have a tendency of kind of sorting it out themselves am I right or am I wrong yes you are right all of our you know ducks geese swans are territorial they like they want to get those resources so and I think that's what you're talking about is uh, the, the pecking order um, typically. Yes, uh, literally yep yep <laughs> So, I mean, the the bigger the bird, the, the more that they can defend. So it's usually the, you know, ducks on the bottom of the totem pole and geese and then swans are, are at the tip top. You know, if you are on a, a highly managed lake there, the waterfowl are going to try and find a good spot to nest in in, in the spring. So typically that's a, more, um, a spot that's more away from boat traffic and that kind of stuff. Right. We're speaking this morning with Lisa Duke and Lisa. So we need to take our first break, but when we come back from the break, let's talk about mm-hmm. kind of how MSU got involved in it, because I had no idea that your center existed, and yet I feel like I should. So we'll talk about that right here on 1320 WILS. Now, live from their timeout cage, here are Rick Cruz and Lee Cohen. You're listening to the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. It's 9.35 and we're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And we're talking yeah, this, this morning with Lisa Duke, who is the sanctuary the manager of the we'll Kellogg busy. Bird Sanctuary that's located that's in Augusta. I said near Kalamazoo, and I think I'm still right with that. Is yeah. that where Augusta is located? Yeah, we're kind of between Kalamazoo and Battle Creek. Gotcha. And Lisa, let's talk a little bit about the history, because you mentioned 1927, Mr. Kellogg is making cereal. He decides that while he loves the toucan because of Fruit Loops, bottom line is, though, he wants to attract Canadian geese. He buys this property and... Then what happens? How does MSU get involved? How does the sanctuary evolve? And how does the mission evolve? Yeah, so the sanctuary, as as you said, was established in 1927. It was gifted in 1928 to Michigan State. It was the Agricultural College at that time. Hmm. And then this property was used to help train the next generation basically of um, wildlife managers and and researchers so it always has been a spot that you know science has has really started here working with our our, um, native duck species after that uh, it was in the 1950s is when the the biological station was actually created there was uh, actually a school a summer school for um, our local uh, teachers to come and 
experience, you know, a summer in Michigan doing, um, you know, ecological field work and stuff and, and learning all new things about science that they can bring back to their um, to their classrooms. And that uh, tradition continues through till today um, where we still have a longstanding teacher professional development program where um, teachers can come and visit. Usually in the spring and the fall, we do a big workshop day and they can come and, um, you know, learn about the science that is happening here at the biological station. I, I, um, can, I can remember my college days. I worked at the limnology research lab over there right off yeah. the river at MSU. And one of the, with, with the professor I was working with, we would get in a, I, think, I don't know if it was a truck or a van. I can't remember anymore. Probably a van. And we traveled down to Kellogg Biological and we would, you know, kind of take water samples and tests mm-hmm. of yep. what was going on there. So all disciplines, I assume, that deal with nature intertwine yep. with some functional role of the overall biological station. But your specific interests tend to center around uh, the birds. Yep. 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 Wildlife conservation is um, what we focus on here. Um, there, in the past, has been more uh, active bird research. We were a uh, part of the trumpeter swan reintroduction program that happened in Michigan in the late 1980s through the 90s. Um, prior to that time, the trumpeter swan was actually extirpated from our state, which means that they were no longer found in our state. They were found in other parts of North America here. Um, trumpeter swans are our, our native swan species, large white birds. They have black bills, black legs, little cute pink lipstick mark on the bill there. <laughs> um, they are the uh, heaviest bird in North America that can fly. I think it can get over um, 25 pounds. Um, and it was decided, this was between um, the biologists here at the biological station, partners with TNR, um, actually local zoos contributed to, to try and bring these birds back to our state, which biologists went to Alaska, collected eggs from the wild population of trumpeter swans there. Um, those eggs were actually brought back to the sanctuary. They collected 92 eggs, I believe. Um, those eggs were incubated here. We still have an incubator in the research down, building down by the lake here. Um, and uh, when those uh, cygnets hatch out, cygnets are baby swans, those birds were then reared at the sanctuary. It was a very labor-intensive program. The cygnets were reared for about two years, and then they were spread throughout the state of Michigan in good habitat in genetically diverse pairs so that those hopefully pairs would then breed out in the wild and then the cycle would continue. Um, And that program was wildly successful. Within my lifetime, basically, um, they brought a species back into our state and And they're thriving. So the value of the ecosystem itself by bringing the trumpeter swan back in. Can you comment a little bit about that? Trumpeter swans like different habitat than, say, the the mute swans are found in our state, too. They are um, the white swans with the orange belt. And mute swans can thrive more around humans and more disturbed habitats. Trumpeter swans need a more, like, pristine um, environment and quieter away from away from traffic and then their benefits to the ecosystem one they're gorgeous so there's value <laughs> in that yeah. um, and then candy. yep and also the reason that they were no longer found in the state was because of humans 
So trying to fix a wrong, almost, um, to try and bring this bird back. Um, the reasons that their, their numbers um, plummeted was uh, due to over-harvesting. Their feathers were said, their flight feathers were said to make the best quill pens around. Um, it was also the time of no uh, hunting regulations. There were no seasons for hunting um, prior to uh, 19... Anyway, the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, um, which was 1916, I believe, or 1917. So there were no protections for birds prior to that. So you could go out and, you know, collect your dinner the day of. There was historical record that these birds were found in our state in these areas. And so they decided to try and reach introduce them into into Michigan. And now I would imagine there are, are the numbers such that there would literally be a hunting season? Or are they still in a, in a status which I would assume yeah. that they're illegal to hunt? Yep. They are not um, legal to hunt. Um they are still protected species, and there are, I think the last census reported about 3,000 individual birds in the state of Michigan. And there would probably have to be quite a few more than that before they'd ever even think to institute anything that would have to control yep. them. Probably Long- self-controlling, I would imagine, because there's not that many, you know, the, the, the real limiting agent here is more, well, relatively pristine uh, lake conditions throughout yeah. Michigan are somewhat few and far between, I would assume. Yeah, their numbers are still threatened. One, it's the finding that habitat where they can reproduce safely. And then also the swans are quite susceptible to um, lead poisoning. Mm. Um, uh, swans feed at the bottom of the lake bed, um, stirring up uh aquatic vegetation, invertebrates, and that kind of stuff. And when they are doing that, they will ingest small rocks and things like that, and they have a tendency to ingest lead shot, sinkers, things that have fallen to the bottom of the lake from leftovers from hunting and fishing or or industry. Now, would I assume that at least shots now do not know how long has it, I would assume they don't carry lead in them now, I would imagine. Oh, no, they still can. They can. Hmm. They can, yep. Now, Lisa, let me ask this question. I think the answer is obvious, but uh, it's evading me. I'm assuming you've got sleeping quarters at your facility for people to be able to actually spend time there. Is that the case? And if so, how many and during what times of the year? Yeah, so the sanctuary is open to the public for people to come take a walk, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Wednesday to Sundays. And being part of the biological station, we have uh, a wonderful conference center here, which has lodging for rent if you would like to come take a short trip out this way. And then we are also in a, a lovely little corner of Michigan where there's lots of other things to do. Kalamazoo is right nearby with their um, great venues like Bell's Brewery and other fantastic <laughs> restaurants in the area. So it's a nice little spot to come and, and take a day trip or um, spend a nice weekend. Interesting. And when it comes to the classes or the teaching, how is that uh, conducted? I mean, how is that organized so that different groups don't step on one another's toes? Because there's a lot of different degrees that are available in areas of nature and Mm -hmm. dealing with a habitat like the one that you guys are managing. Right. So our um, academic programs here are 
as I said, run through the summer typically. They run May to August. We have two um, summer session one and summer session two. And a lot of them uh, will travel to different spots, whether it's here at the biological station or other local um, natural areas. Um, uh, we have a wetland ecologies class that will go and visit um, uh, different friends and, and all of that kind of stuff that are in the local area that are not found on this property. Um, so uh, we, we have a, a whole fleet of minivans that drive summer students around. Um, but it's uh, a great opportunity for Michigan State University students to come and experience a smaller class size. The max size right now is about 20. Um, uh, come spend your summer at the biological station on the beautiful shores of Gull Lake, Michigan. It's like summer camp, basically, where you're doing college classes. So you're in this um, beautiful kind of resort setting. Um, and you get to go outside every single day for your class versus, you know, being on campus through the fall and the um, spring semester and you're, you're stuck in classrooms all the time. They, they take you outside every single day here. So lots of good hands-on opportunities to see um you know, science happening in front of your eyes. Well, it sounds like a great opportunity. We're speaking this morning with Lisa Duke, who is the sanctuary manager of the Bird Sanctuary. Uh, and we need to take a quick break, Lisa. But when we come back, let's talk about the upcoming online bird and coffee chats you're going to be doing, because those are big events and they're coming up as quick as next week. So let's have that conversation right here on 1320 WILS. You're listening to the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. We're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show, and our guest this morning is Lisa Duke. Lisa, before the break, we talked about the fact that there are some online bird and coffee chats coming up this fall, and please tell us, what are these about? What do you do during these chats, and what are the topics, and how how do people get involved with it if they chose to? Yeah, so um, here at the Sanctuary, we, we provide uh, different public programs, and we have a long-standing one. It was actually started as a hike. We called it Birds and Coffee. We go outside on the grounds here, go birding for like an hour and a half, come back and have a cup of coffee together and go over our bird list. This switched to an online format uh, during the start of the pandemic, and it was, you know, just a way a lot of people took up birding during that time. They were home. They were out. One of the few places they could go out safely and explore was nature. So we decided to switch this to it's a free program. You just have to go on to our website and register to get the Zoom link, which our website is birdsanctuary.kbs.msu.edu. And then uh, we hold it. It's the second Wednesday of the month from 10 a.m. to about 11 a.m. And what we have um, done is we, we typically talk about five different bird species. We go over like field marks, identification, um, a little bit of natural history, and um, some places that, that you might find these guys. And then we just, you know, it's an opportunity to learn a couple new species of birds and ask some questions to, to people that will hopefully have the answers for you. Does it, does it tend to be like a free-for-all where everybody contributes, or is there specific people that specifically lead and educate yep. and 
then the rest kind of follow along, or how does it? What's so the it's, kind it's of chemistry? myself. I I typically share about the bird species and my partner Misty Klotz, who kind of mediates the, um, the the meeting, and we have you know you can ask questions in the chat or um, at the end you know like share your voice and, and ask those questions in person. So if someone like me were on there, I could ask you about the heron that seems to visit my backyard every single day and walk around like the big pterodactyl that he is. (laughs) And you could explain to me what he's doing and why he's visiting and uh, if I should be concerned about it. Yeah, so we try and we do the best that we can, but, you know, you can only hold so many facts in your brain. But, yeah, it's um, a good opportunity to, to ask those questions. And then if we don't know them, we can send you some resources at the, the end of the session, too. Who, who are generally the attendees? Uh, you know, are, first of all, I think in uh, coffee, coffee age drinking individuals, I mean, yeah. <laughs> an eight-year-old, I'm just imagining sitting there with a cup of coffee. I think he'd have an inquisitive mind, but he may not necessarily. He might drink cocoa. Yeah, Yeah, so the the great thing about having a virtual program is that people don't actually have to physically travel to your site here, um, which Augusta is not on anyone's, like, main route. (laughs) I will say that. Yeah. Um, So we have had um, people join us from all over the state of Michigan, um, into Canada, into the southern U.S., uh, California. Like, um, it's, it's... definitely expanded like the number of people that have heard about the bird sanctuary and it's just fun to share and talk about birds now when it comes to your history there how did you get involved with yeah. the bird sanctuary i mean is is this something that you planned on or oh, is no. this something that <laughs> just kind of happened as you yeah. were on the path yeah so my background i um I'm a graduate of Michigan State University. I'm one of the few, actually, that, that work here. Um, but my background is zoo and aquarium science. I was a zookeeper for almost 10 years, um, taking care of animals from cockroaches to snow leopards. Um, but my love were at actually herps. So I, you know, if I would go on a hike in my backyard, I'd be staring at the ground. I wouldn't be looking up in the trees. <laughs> but I was at the point in my life um, where I needed a... A bit of a career change. I had a young family. Um, I my body was breaking from the, like physical activity of being a zookeeper, so I just needed something else. And the, an opportunity came up here at the bird sanctuary as the avian caretaker, which um, they provide the daily husbandry for our captive collection of birds here. Um, so I was lucky enough to get that position, and then slowly transitioned up to manager a few years later. So. So you Great pro- opportunity. You, you probably had to go through some learning curves as far as uh, back to the books and understanding uh, yeah. birds and their behaviors and that, that type of stuff. Yeah. So thankfully, um, uh, zookeeper uh, history, you know, good husbandry is good husbandry. Um, so that, that I can transition easily. Learning about our native bird species is going to take me for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're, so, you're humble. You're humble. Yeah. So when I first started working here, um, uh, every spring we offer a um, field ornithology class. This is a course that we run. It's about five week, five sessions, and um, 
and you, you, you talk about different um, bird families and, and um, typically would involve like a, like a birding hike to go do identification out in the wild. And um, so I participated in that. And it just like opens your eyes to like all of the birds you didn't realize existed. Like it's not just the birds that come to your bird feeders in your yard. There are all these other birds that eat different things and um, just are in here for spring and fall migration. Like I had never noticed a warbler before, never. So that first um, course I took, a field ornithology and uh, I think it was 2013, like really started that journey. And now I am that person that cannot stop looking out my windows or listening to those calls. So, <laughs> so, so is, you no longer have a kink neck where you're only looking down at the ground. Uh, just kinked in a different direction. That, but, I got yeah. you. Well, if you do both, yeah. if you look down and up, it, it exercises both it's of true. them. It's true, yeah. It's kind of like yoga. You have to do a, a position and then an opposite position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, finally, my family finds me slightly annoying because I can't just, I can't stop. Like, I'm always looking for something. So, it's just those, work on those observation skills. You never know what you're going to see. Well, but birds are fascinating creatures. And I, I can relate a story my wife shared with me. She worked at the Howell Nature Center. Mm-hmm. And there was an African duck that was there. I don't know how it got into their care, but it did. And she worked preparing food in a kitchen there every day. And who would come to the back door oh. every single day when she was cooking food but this duck and he was looking for his and bottom line is I said to her wow ducks are pretty smart why go bother working in order to find it when you can just show up at the kitchen (laughs) and get what you need there and it was beautiful it was a gorgeous creature so uh, there's a lot to see with these birds I imagine there are we are um, privileged here at the sanctuary to have a diversity of birds that we care for on a daily basis from we have pheasants and quail we also have rehabilitated birds of prey from bald eagles owls red-tailed hawks and then we also have some uh, waterfowl that we care for on grounds here too so it is a good variety of birds that live for a very long time and it's fun to develop those relationships with our, our our residents here well lisa we're out of time but again can you give the website for yep. people who are interested in joining your coffee chats coming up yeah so you can find out more about us it's bird sanctuary all one word dot kbs dot edu um, we are open for people to come and visit, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Wednesday to Sundays. And then we do have some fun programs that are, are coming up soon, which the Birds and Coffee Chat, which happens monthly. Um, we are actually offering a few uh, free admission days if people want to come and, and check us out. Uh, we are participating in our local Arts and Eats uh, driving tour October 16th and 17th which is a Saturday and Sunday, um, where we'll have some local artists that will be selling their wares, and then you can come walk the property for free. And then we are hosting a program here on site called, we're calling it a fall fly-in. It's November 7th from 1 to 4 p.m. The sanctuary is gets a good diversity of migrating diving ducks. So these are birds that do not breed in our local area or just flying through south for the winter. 
So you can see a good diversity up close because we have some nice um, views here on Winter Green Lake. Well, thank you so much for being with us. We've been talking with Lisa Duke. And Rick, I hate to say it, but we are out of time. So on behalf of our producer, Bruce, and Rick Proust, my co-host in the studio, this is Lee Cohen, wishing all of you a great week and a great weekend ahead. We'll talk next weekend on the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And please, please, all of you, take good care of your pets. Thank you.